0: Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to IRIS and to the reading of the Waterloo-Cedar Falls Courier. This is Monday, January 8th. I'm your volunteer reader, Bob Young. Let's take a look at the weather forecast from KCRG. Winter storm moves in on Monday, bringing significant impacts to eastern Iowa. Heavy snow and strong winds are likely to accompany a winter storm that will move across the central United States early this week. A winter storm warning is in effect for the entire area, lasting until at least Tuesday evening. This was issued by the National Weather Service for the threat of heavy snow and strong gusty winds. Monday morning will be spent dry, but with gray skies. Temperatures start out in the 20s, but enough of a breeze is already present to cause wind chills to feel more like the 10s early on today. Winds stay breezy throughout the day as the winter storm system approaches. The chance of snow picks up in eastern Iowa by early to mid-afternoon in our southern and western counties. Areas up to about U.S. Highway 30 could see snow already by evening commute, and all of us get into the snowfall by mid to late evening. Snow continues into the nighttime hours, becoming moderate to heavy at times. The most likely time period for the heaviest snow, where accumulation rates could reach 1 to 2 inches per hour, will be from around 2 o'clock a.m. until 7 o'clock a.m. That's Tuesday morning. Some areas of thunder snow could develop within this time, so you may hear a rumble or thunder or see a flash of lightning. It also sets up a very messy Tuesday morning commute. Those who will be traveling during that time to work or elsewhere plan on a much slower and longer drive. School schedules will probably face disruption on Tuesday. More snow is likely for the area throughout Tuesday into Tuesday evening, though there may be some periods during this time where snow intensity turns a little less. Still, Enough will be falling to add to our totals, as well as to keep travel conditions poor. This will be at the same time winds will really be increasing as the storm system strengthens and passes near the state, with gusts between 30 to 40 miles per hour, or more possible, by Tuesday afternoon and evening. This could cause some blowing and drifting snow, and further affect visibility where snow is falling or blowing. Precipitation winds down by mid to late evening on Tuesday, though winds should remain fairly strong into Tuesday night. We'll see those relax on Wednesday, allowing for travel conditions to begin to improve. The Wednesday morning commute may still see some snow-covered roadways, though, so plan on the potential for disruption there. Snowfall totals will range between 5 to 10 inches for all of eastern Iowa. A few spots could push a little higher than that, but the wet and heavy nature of the snow will likely keep the total in that range for most of us. However, that also means that the snow will be harder to move and clear than you might usually expect. Make sure to avoid overexertion and take breaks while shoveling on Tuesday, especially so if you have a pre-existing medical condition like a heart condition. The heavy snow could also lead to some tree branch damage and the potential for power outages as winds increase on Tuesday. Be aware of where to find some flashlights or candles in your home in case that occurs in your neighborhood. Travel plans should be adjusted for the winter storm with a general recommendation to avoid over-the-road travel if possible starting later this evening into Tuesday evening. If you must travel for work, give yourself plenty of extra time to arrive at your destination and slow down. Turn on your headlights no matter the time of day to make your vehicle more visible to others. Also, give extra distance between you and the car in front of you and break early for intersections with traffic lights or stoplights. Wednesday will be a break in our active weather pattern but another quick-moving disturbance brings us a chance of some snow on Wednesday night into Thursday. This system will not have the same potential for heavy snow as the early week system, but it could give some additional light accumulations to the area and cause a period of slick roadways once again. Another potentially more impactful storm system develops toward the end of the work week. This could follow a similar path to the early week storm, giving us another round of accumulating snowfall. This storm, though, is still several days away, and its path could be impacted by the overall outcome of the early week system. We'll be watching it closely, and it's another time period where you should consider potential impacts to your plans from Friday into Friday night. The net effect of building up a deeper snowpack and multiple storm systems moving through the active weather pattern will be building shots of colder air behind each of them. Highs behind the early week system will be in the 20s for the middle of the week, stepping down toward the 10s for the start of the weekend and by only single digits above zero by the start of next week. Lows will follow a similar path, falling below zero by the weekend. chill issues will likely develop during this time as well, so make sure you've got proper winter clothing ready for that time period. Now let's turn to the front page of The Courier. Local schools offer support to Perry School District. Story filed by Angela Sturm McLaughlin. Dateline Waterloo. In the wake of another school shooting, this one in Perry, local school officials are offering support to the residents of the Iowa town of 8,000 and reviewing their own safety protocols. On Thursday, a 17-year-old student with a shotgun and a handgun opened fire at the small-town high school, killing a 6th grader and wounding five others, authorities say. The shooting had students at Perry High School barricading themselves in offices, ducking into classrooms, and fleeing. Authorities said one of the wounded was a school administrator. The subject was found dead with an apparent self-inflicted gunshot wound. Authorities identified the shooter as Dylan Butler, 17, but provided no information about a possible motive. Two friends and their mother, who spoke with the Associated Press, said Butler was a quiet person who had been bullied for years. Waterloo School Superintendent Jared Smith offered condolences to all affected by the tragedy in Perry. Quote, in times of unimaginable sorrow, our hearts reach out to the Perry Community School District and community as they grapple with the aftermath of this tragedy. As a district, we stand united, offering our deepest condolences and unwavering support to all who were involved. This crisis is another reminder of why the physical and emotional safety of our students and staff is a top priority, unquote. And Smith said that in an email to The Courier. The Waterloo School Board will meet in special session Monday night to discuss the district's participation in the Safe and Sound Iowa program offered by the Iowa Department of Public Safety. Cedar Falls also participates in an Anonymous Alerts Program. According to the program's webpage, Safe and Sound Iowa is free to all K 12 schools statewide. It is meant to empower students, teachers, parents, and community members to anonymously report school safety concerns and get students in crisis the help they need before it's too late. Unquote. Emily Frederick, Director of School and Community Relations at Waterloo Schools, said several safety protocols are in place at Waterloo School Attendance Centers. They include, All doors are locked in school buildings during the school day. Visitors must check into the main office before they are able to enter any building. Each building has a dedicated safety team that meets regularly and conducts safety drills to ensure all staff and students know how to react in the face of danger. Both the Waterloo and Evansdale Police Departments provide school resource officers that support staff in all buildings, and schools continue to actively pursue safety upgrades through the Governor's Safe Schools Grant Program. The Cedar Falls School District did not respond to calls requesting comment to the Perry shootings. According to the Cedar Falls Community Schools website, students and staff routinely practice actions that would be taken in a crisis situation. Parents can request a student opt out of drills if they believe they could be detrimental for their child. The district has adopted procedures recommended by the U.S. Departments of Education and Homeland Security to use in the event of a dangerous intruder situation. Students learn about options that can be taken along with discussing ways of preventing these situations. Age appropriate curriculum for teaching students has been developed by school counselors with input from outside professionals. Cedar Falls also has a police liaison school resource officer shared by its school buildings. The lead story on the front page of the Courier Republican Party Animal, young, bunny loving Waverly entrepreneur wants to run for office story written by Andy Malone, and the dateline is Waverly. The story begins with the photograph with the caption, Lena Anderson visits with Orpuva Ramaswamy and her son Karthik, as Republican presidential hopeful Vivek Ramaswamy speaks at a campaign stop at the Waverly area Veterans Post on Thursday. Lena Anderson likes to teaching rabbits new tricks. The 10-year-old Waverly entrepreneur teaches bunnies commands like come and sit. She claims she once taught a sheep how to shake. Lena breeds and sells the animals, some as big as a few feet in length and 40 pounds. As owner of Lena's giant rabbits, she is the teacher in those instances. But she has recently gained attention for being a high achieving student of government and politics. Some have called her a political freak after she became one of the youngest people ever to earn a perfect score on the United States civics test. The test, developed by Citizenship and Immigration Services, is also administered as part of the curriculum for children two grades ahead of Lena. Lena now wants to become the youngest person ever to hold one of the state offices in Iowa. Quote, "She really loves to apply herself," said her mother, Heather Anderson. "She's always been interested in history and learning about this country and learning about how the government works, but I really think Vivek inspired her the most." Unquote. That's Vivek Ramaswamy, the wealthy business owner and current Republican candidate for president. He has proposed 18-year-olds be required to score at least 60% on the test in order to vote, since that is a requirement for attaining citizenship. If you can't meet that threshold, he proposes, you have to wait until you're 25 to vote. Critics say that would disenfranchise voters. When skeptics learn about Lena's support of Ramaswamy on social media, they pointed out, sometimes disparagingly, that she might have to wait until... 15 more years to vote under his plan. Quote, I wanted to prove that if a 10-year-old can do it, then an 18-year-old can do it, Lena said. All the naysayers lit a fire under my butt, so I put that fire out, unquote. She practiced for four days with flashcards and study guides. She answered all 100 questions correctly in about 90 minutes on a written version of the exam administered by a Tripola teacher. She'd previously done an oral version of the test in which she only answered one question incorrectly. The feat was impressive. Questions touched on the principles of American democracy, its system of government, and rights and responsibilities under the Constitution. She had to know about geography, symbols, and national holidays, as well as the history of the colonial period, independence, and the 1800s. Lena wants to become a veterinarian or lawyer when she's older, but also plans to become Iowa's youngest state senator and break the record set by former Senator Jake Chapman. He was 28 when first elected. Lena's interest in government began percolating at seven years old while reading textbooks on government and history for school. She's currently homeschooled and has spent time in Iowa Virtual Academy and Chipola Public Schools. Quote, I liked reading about politics and was interested in the three branches of government, Lena said. Quote, the executive branch is one of my favorites. I also like learning about the House and Senate and Congress, and like all aspects of politics. It's fascinating. She was named class president as a nine year old fifth grader. Now she's hoping to become the youngest ever youth delegate for her precinct during the Republican caucuses on January 15th. According to the party, in that role, she would get to take part in a mini-caucus and talk about planks in its platform. Quote, This kind of civic engagement is what we hope for and expect in all our students. She's an excellent example of the best of Waverly, said Mayor Mark Anderson, who's not related. Quote, She's only eight years from voting, The more engaged young people are, the better. I had two high school students on my campaign committee for that very same reason. They added a lot of enthusiasm and bring to the table the concerns of their generation, Anderson said. Lena's not old enough to vote, but she has become a viral sensation. Her exchanges with and letters to Ramaswamy have been captured by her mother and posted online, then reposted on his campaign's social media pages. A couple of posts drew about a million views. The most recent was a video about Lena's story involving politics and Ramaswamy. The presidential candidate's reaction is one of awe and hope. Quote, Lina is one of those people that doesn't hide her excellence, and I'm proud of her for that, Ramaswamy told the Courier. Quote, I think she sets a good example for kids across the country, and embodies the kinds of characteristics that I want to see in my kids when they're her age, unquote. Lena handed Ramaswamy a letter at a September event. She met him for the first time a month prior, expressing her appreciation for how nice, kind, and encouraging he was. Later that fall, she gave him a second letter about her perfect civics test, quote, he brought my inner politician out, she said. Not only does he tell the truth, but he calls out corruption and is doing everything, in my opinion, a politician should be doing. I was inspired by that, unquote. Her political engagement has led her to attend several other candidates' events, including Ron DeSantis, Larry Elder, and Tim Scott, but she's a big Ramaswamy supporter. Lena has attended close to two dozen of his events since her first one on August 27th. Along the way, she has become a friend of Ramaswamy, his family, and campaign staff. In other ways, she's a typical 10-year-old girl. She likes spending time with her family, including her three younger siblings, and riding horses. In fact, some of her profits come from her rabbit venture help pay for horse camp. Aside from her political prowess, she was already a success with her business, which once made $1,000 in one day. Quote, I used to have many Rex rabbits. They can be super small, she said, but I decided I wanted to go bigger, and so I went a lot bigger, and I've now turned my fun into money, Unquote. Fairbank Dog Breeder cited for 12 violations. Story by Jeff Reinitz. Dateline, Fairbank. Government inspectors found a dozen violations at a rural Fairbank dog breeders facility going back a little more than a year, according to an animal rights group. Quote, small and big box chain pet stores alike buy vulnerable living beings from animal factories like this. The neglect found near Fairbank is exactly why PETA urges the public never to buy from breeders or pet stores. Daniel Payden, vice president of evidence analysis for the People for Ethical Treatment of Animals, said in a prepared statement, PETA highlighted the violations U.S. Department of Agriculture staff found during routine inspections at breeder Henry Detweiler's facility in Fairbank. Inspection records show the department found violations in November 2022 that included giving a nutritional supplement designed for cattle to treat a dog for diarrhea without consulting a veterinarian and for eight adult dogs that weren't up to date on their vaccinations. It also found that the facility hadn't tested a portion of the kennel for intestinal parasites as outlined in its vet care program, the inspection also found record keeping violations that included missing disposition documents for dogs that were transferred to other facilities and for vet exams. In February 2023, inspectors found three dogs that weren't given identification tags as required, according to USDA records. Two dogs were found with severe matting and overgrown nails in an October 2023 inspection, and another was found with overgrown nails and poor dental health. There were also violations for identification tags and inventory records, inspection records to state. Another inspection, this one in December of 2023, found a cockier spaniel with overgrown nails and matted on all four feet, according to USDA records. Downtown Cedar Falls Crash Sends Two Adults to Hospital Story by Andy Malone Dateline Cedar Falls Two adults were transported Wednesday for treatment of minor injuries suffered during a crash at the First and Main Streets intersection, according to Public Safety Lt. John Gerzma. And here we have a black-and-white photograph of the aftermath of the crash, and we see a fire truck next to an automobile with extensive front-end damage. The two-vehicle crash, involving a black Kia Nero and silver Honda Accord, happened shortly before 8 p.m. One vehicle was traveling east on 1st Street, Iowa Highway 57, before attempting to turn left onto East Main Street. The driver allegedly did not yield and struck another vehicle traveling west on First Street. The road is a 30-mile-per-hour controlled thoroughfare coming off U.S. Highway 218. The two drivers were believed to be the only occupants of the vehicles. One was transported to Mercy One Cedar Falls Medical Center and the other was transported Mercy One Waterloo Medical Center as a matter of personal preference. Both vehicles sustained significant damage to the front. Guruzima was uncertain which driver and vehicles had attempted to turn. Police continued to investigate the cause. Nothing suspicious was found at the scene and no arrests were made. An officer helped direct traffic as the scene took about 45 minutes to clean up. Dog rescued from thin ice at George Wythe State Park. Story filed by Andy Malode. Dateline Waterloo. A firefighter rescued a dog Wednesday night submerged in water and clinging to thin ice on a George Wythe State Park lake, according to Battalion Chief Ben Peterson. Waterloo Fire Rescue responded at about 8 p.m. to the incident. The German Shepherd had been training with its owner off-leash before getting away and was eventually found approximately 30 feet out on Fisher Lake. The dog was half submerged in the approximately three to four foot deep water and hanging onto the half to quarter inch thick ice shelf with its front paws, said Peterson. After being exposed to the extremely cold water for about a half hour, Peterson said the dog, estimated to be about 60 pound had signs of hypothermia and was rewarmed upon returning to shore peterson said first responders recommended to the owner that the pet be checked out further by a veterinarian the firefighter retrieved the dog by getting in a rescue suit getting out on the ice and bringing the animal back to shore with a catching pole the weather outside was approximately 30 degrees at the time of rescue. Gilbertville Receives Federal Grant for Emergency Services Building Story filed by Holly Hudson Hill. Gilbertville. The city of Gilbertville recently received a $500,000 federal grant to help cover the cost of a new emergency services building. The funds announced in December come from the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Rural Development Community Facilities Grants Program. Gilbertville is one of 16 Iowa communities to receive funding. The grant brings the total money available for the building to more than $2.5 million, including $500,000 in federal funding allocated in January 2023 as part of an omnibus appropriations bill, $1.25 million from a bond measure approved by voters in March, $225,000 from the Blackhawk County Gaming Association as part of its fiscal year 2023 spring grant cycle, between 25000 and 300000 raised by the community, and 200000 made available by the county. Mayor Mark Thome said the money set aside by the county will be the last money in. Quote, we will try very hard not to use those funds, he said. They are the last contingency. Cardinal Construction will be the general contractor for the $2.3 million project. Quote, they started moving dirt at the end of October, said Fire Chief Kurt Bovee. The ground is level, sewer and water have been run, and storm drain piping is in place. They will shut down and start up again in March, when they will pour the footings and foundation. We have a completion date of December 2024. The new 12,400-foot structure, which will house the fire and police departments and emergency medical services, will be located just north of Casey's on the north side of town. Bovey said discussions about the need for a new building started about 20 years ago. Quote, and it's finally coming around, he said. Quote, Every time we go to replace or purchase a vehicle, we have to customize it or revamp part of the station. We won't have any trouble with height requirements in the new building. The existing station at fourteen o six Fourth Street was built in the 1930s, so it's about 70 or 80 years old. Quote, I really want to thank the community for all the support, he said. We wouldn't be where we are, starting a new building without them, unquote. There is interest in purchasing the current fire department property, said Thome, so we will sell it and put that money toward the new building, unquote. The existing police department at 419 14th Avenue will likely be used for record storage, he said. Quote, it's all very exciting, Thome said. We appreciate the county helping us out and Representative Ashley Henson has been instrumental in helping us secure funds. The police and fire departments have been holding steak suppers and other fundraisers for years. As for the citizens, if you ask, the people of Gilbertville usually find a way to make things happen. Quote, This is one of the main reasons I ran for reelection, to see it through and get this building open We look forward to the future under one roof," Thome said. The city will hold a groundbreaking ceremony, from 11:30 a.m. to 12:30 p.m. on Monday at the construction site. Hinson is expected to attend. In case of inclement weather, the ceremony will be moved to City Hall at 1321 Fifth Street. Man arrested for stolen gun, drugs. in traffic stop on I-380. Story written by Jeff Reinitz. Dateline Waterloo. A Cedar Rapids man has been arrested after state troopers found a stolen gun during a traffic stop in rural Blackhawk County. Troopers stopped a Chevrolet Equinox for going 91 miles per hour in a 70 mile per hour zone around mile marker 63 on Interstate Highway 380, around 8.10 a.m. on Wednesday. The driver had a barred license. Authorities found a stolen firearm, a THC vape pen, and 10 grams of marijuana in the vehicle. Trawan Liboroy West, 27, was arrested for trafficking stolen weapons, felon in possession of a firearm, driving while barred, and possession of marijuana. Bond, was set at $10,000. And now, listeners, this is where we remind you that you're listening to the reading of the Waterloo-Cedar Falls Courier for Monday, January 8th on IRIS, I-R-I-S, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and the Print Handicapped. Now, this announcement. I might not know you, but I still care about you. So if you feel hopeless or if you've been thinking about suicide... Please talk to someone, a friend, parent, teacher, or coworker. If you can't talk to them or feel like you have no one there to listen, turn to Your Life Iowa. Things can get better. There are people who want to help you. Please reach out now at yourlifeiowa.org. Brought to you by the Iowa Department of Public Health. Now let's turn to the opinion section. For our first editorial today, we go to the Des Moines Register. This was written by Dr. David E. Drake, who is an Iowa psychiatrist. Titled, I Found Common Ground in a Polarized World Volunteering in Des Moines. It all began with a photo in the register last winter. I recall seeing two volunteers from a homeless resource center, Joppa, all bundled up walking down a snowy embankment to reach out to unhoused folks in the Greater Des Moines area. With my comfortable life and focus mostly on national and international issues, I wanted to find ways to get more connected and involved with our own community. I was moved and called Joppa to ask about volunteering. From the website I read, Joppa helps homeless people survive, find housing, and rebuild their lives our mission, to create communities of unconditional love, support, and hope for the homeless as we work together to prevent and ultimately end homelessness, what we do. Joppa collaborates with community partners, helps homeless people access existing resources, and mobilizes private donations from families, churches, and organizations to meet unmet needs in the homeless services, housing, and education. Homeless folks in our community live in tents under tarps and bridges. In the winter, those enclosed encampments may have portable heaters fueled by propane. Soon after reading the story, my introduction to Joppa volunteering was at their resource center on Euclid Avenue, where I joined a father and two kids sweeping, mopping, and moving items around a warehouse of sleeping bags, tents, propane heaters, surrounded by canned fruits and fresh foods ready for delivery. We were assisted by a man who walked around and seemed to know what he was doing. Turns out, that man was Joe Stevens, one of the co-founders, along with his wife Jackie, who started Joppa in their garage some 15 years ago. After that half-day, I shared several meals with Joe and his wife to learn more about what they're doing. My wife Claire and I started our monthly work after that, joining a host of volunteers on a Sunday afternoon, loading up our vehicles now emblazoned with metallic Joppa signs and with the supplies to be shared with folks we met. Before each trip out, all the volunteers meet and are reminded of the mission to serve all with respect and kindness. Someone in the group offers to say a prayer, and we are off for the afternoon. By iPads, we follow a well-organized list of folks who have been entered into the Joppa mobile app and have names and approximate locations of their encampments. We each have a role, all to be friendly and as helpful as we can to the folks we meet, taking turns handing out toilet paper, water, hot sandwiches, Frozen foods, fresh foods, first aid supplies, hygiene supplies, and even mail delivered to the central office. When our Joppa vehicles pull up to the edge of a woods, we holler out, JAPA! to announce our arrival. I continue to be impressed with the many people who come out of the woods to meet us and get their weekly supplies of sustenance goods. Each of us engages each person we meet, asking their names. If not known already, and asking them if there is anything else they need. A list is kept of who needs batteries, more propane for their heaters, and other items they might request. I know we all see folks on street corners, on highway exits, who have signs saying, Any amount helps, and often, Homeless Veteran, among others. Before my work with Joppa, I would always wave or say hello to those folks on the corners. Now, if traffic allows, I offer water, which is always accepted, and share that I am a volunteer with Joppa, which brings out a smile, thanks, and a recognition. I pass out Joppa cards that explain their homeless resource center hours Tuesday through Friday from noon to 4 p.m. Many are already connected. In a gift to myself, I no longer feel uncomfortable in just saying hello, but can offer and be part of a community resource that helps to save lives and offers options to get those who are unhoused housing. Since its beginning 15 years ago, Joppa has helped nearly 600 individuals get off the street into housing. And while JAPA describes itself as faith-based, I find that volunteers have met and worked with, run the gamut from conservative to progressive Religious and political views. A pastor in training prayed with some of the homeless folks we met, but otherwise religion was not mentioned out in the field. Instead, we are all involved in the practice of putting our beliefs into action. I am impressed with how this and other efforts in our community in the areas of food banks, soup kitchens, and disaster support are examples where partisanship is set aside. It reminds me in Des Moines when I and many others joined together to fill sandbags to protect areas from flooding. This can be a model for our community and beyond to find common ground to help those in need. Next, we turn to the Storm Lake Times pilot and editor Art Cullen titled, Royaling Us into the New Year. With Donald Trump bellowing about immigrants poisoning our blood. It is hard not to approach 2024 with a measure of fear and a dash of loathing. The new year rings in with Iowa caucuses just around the bend at January 15th. Trump holds a commanding lead. He grows stronger with every legal challenge because so many people think the whole game is rigged. The U.S. Supreme Court should have to decide before January 15th, one would think, whether Trump may remain on the Colorado ballot after courts found that he caused an insurrection in trying to overthrow the 2020 election. Section 3 of the 14th Amendment is clear enough to the courtesy driver for the mechanic shop. If an official participates in an insurrection, as Trump did on January 6th, he is ineligible to run for president. He has survived so far by dragging things out. If he wins the caucuses by 20 points, it might not matter what the Supreme Court thinks. He already will be the presumptive nominee. Trump pledges to be a dictator. Biden says this is all about saving democracy, just like 2020. Young people are turned off. Older people think it doesn't really matter, red or blue, because the people who run things are going to do what they're going to do. You can't fight City Hall or Uncle Sam, and Iowa's base wage is half of what it was 50 years ago in real terms. Civil rights belong to those who can afford them. It will be gut-wrenching to watch if you can. People are tuning out from national news because they're only presented problems that foster arguments without solutions. Everything is cast against that backdrop. The economy is cruising along with falling inflation, flattening interest rates, and record low unemployment. The auto workers just got a big raise, and so did the UPS driver. Trump says the USA is going to hell. Biden says there is nothing we cannot do if we put our shoulder to it. We butt heads for exercise because it feels so productive. It makes you want to drown in drink on New Year's Eve. The legislature also convenes in January. It is positioned to gut income taxes and the Iowa tuition grant that keeps the beavers working. A full abortion ban could take effect pending a ruling by the Iowa Supreme Court, just like Texas. When did we become Texas without the money? We're still bound up in banning books. However, voters roundly rejected the book banners and queer bashers in municipal and school elections across Iowa in November. Governor Kim Reynolds, who transformed us from the Iowa nice too nasty, is grinding on the body politic. Her endorsement of Ron DeSantis wasn't worth a hell of beans. Wishful thinking in the Capitol has it that she will not run for re-election in 2026. Democrats show signs of sparks in the ashes. It sure will get worse if we keep up the words and deeds of destroying people, throwing out their civil rights, and terrorizing Latinos who could make America greater if we let them. It could happen next year if we give up on decency. Somehow, Iowa always manages to tap into its core and come back to its senses. Past is not always prologue, which is where the loathing royals. <laughs> next, we have a piece written by Alan Gubert, and his column is titled Farm and Flood File, Doubling Down on Death, Taxes, and Crop Insurance. Founding father Benjamin Franklin was spot on almost three centuries ago when he noted in print, no less, that two unavoidable facts of life were death and taxes. Had Ben in the almanac business today, he might add two more modern facts of American life to his list. Farmers and ranchers' growing dependency on crop insurance and the growing taxpayer concerns about increasing cost of that dependency. Congress's nonpartisan watchdog, the Government Accountability Office, the GAO, put hard numbers on the widespread use of today's federal crop insurance program, its rising costs, and where most of the federal subsidies wind up. The findings were shocking to taxpayers who, like almost every American outside working farmers and ranches, have no clue of the program's growth, functions, and costs. For example, explained the Environmental Working Group, EWG, one of crop insurance's longtime critics. Quote, the top 1% of crop insurance policyholders, farmers with the highest incomes, got over $2.5 billion in premium sub- subsidies in 2022, an average of almost $500,000 per farm, unquote. By any standard, that's an incredible sweetener to entice already well-heeled farmers to use a revenue-insuring program many would join anyway because of lender or market pressure. GAO acknowledges as much, noting that shaving 15% off government subsidies to this group would have minimal effects on participation and the program's financial soundness on Without simple fixes, such as graduated subsidy rate based on farm size, says EWG, in 2022, the 19 largest policyholders each received more than $3 million in subsidies, with the recipient who received the most taking in $7.7 million. These subsidies aren't chicken feed. Quote, In 2022, Subsidies averaged about 62% of policyholders' premiums and totaled $12 billion, explained the GAO, quote, comprising the largest portion of the program's total cost of $17.3 billion. Policyholders aren't the only players in this federal crop, really revenue, insurance program to receive hefty subsidies to participate. The insurance companies hired by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the USDA, to deliver the program continue to reel in whopper dollars, too. In fact, one-third of the program's annual cost, calculates EWG, quote, or about $3 billion per year, goes to insurance companies instead of farmers. This money, it continues, goes to just 13 companies, nine of which, are publicly traded corporations worth billions of dollars, whose CEOs make millions of dollars every year. Reforming crop insurance, the centerpiece of today's federal farm program, and the still overdue 2023 Farm Bill, seems impossible. Pressure from farm groups, big ag biz, and insurance companies keeps Congress on its back foot whenever talk of examining and updating the aging, bloated, and deeply arcane program begins on Capitol Hill. Worse, Republicans on the House Ag Committee now are using the Farm Bill delay to advocate for an expanded but still unreformed crop insurance program that would send even more subsidies, say critics, to even more wealthy farmers. For example, reports Agripulse, a well-sourced ag news service, quote, Lawmakers are looking at boosting subsidies for supplemental area-based crop insurance policies to induce growers to buy higher levels of coverage, which could potentially reduce the demand from farm groups for ad hoc disaster assistance, Did you catch all the certain-to-cost-more words in that sentence? Boosting subsidies, supplemental policies, and induce, compared to the single cost-saving hope, of potentially reduce ad hoc disaster. More to the point, AgriPulse continues quote, Economists say the expanded coverage could particularly benefit farmers during peri- periods of relatively high prices and input costs when farmers are unlikely to get payments from two of the biggest crop insurance programs price loss coverage and agriculture risk coverage. In short, Today's call to expand crop insurance in the face of new efforts to reform it is just like death and taxes. No matter the circumstances, it's inevitable. The Farm and Food File is published weekly throughout the United States and Canada. Now from the editorial board of the New York Times, a warning about Donald Trump and 2024. At the outset of this election year, With Donald Trump leading the race to be the Republican presidential nominee, Americans should pause to consider what a second Trump term would mean for our country and the world and to weigh the serious responsibility this election places on their shoulders. By now, most American voters should have no illusions about who Mr. Trump is. During his many years as a real estate developer and a television personality, then as president and as a dominant figure in the Republican Party, Mr. Trump demonstrated a character and temperament that render him utterly unfit for high office. As president, he wielded power carelessly and often cruelly and put his ego and his personal needs above the interests of his country. Now, as he campaigns again, his worst impulses remain as strong as ever, Encouraging violence and lawlessness, exploiting fear and hate for political gain, undermining the rule of law and the Constitution, applauding dictators, and are escalating as he tries to regain power. He plots retribution, intent on eluding the institutional, legal, and bureaucratic restraints that put limits on him in his first term. Our purpose at the start of the new year, therefore, is to sound a warning mr trump does not offer voters anything resembling a normal option of republican or democrat conservative or liberal big government or small he confronts america with a far more fateful choice between the continuance of the united states as a nation dedicated to the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity and a man who has proudly shown open disdain for the law And the protections and ideals of the Constitution. If in 2016 various factors of the electorate were prepared to look beyond Mr. Trump's bombast in the hope that he might deliver whatever it was they wanted without too much damage to the nation, today there is no mystery about what he will do should he win, about the sorts of people he will surround himself with, and the personal and political goals he will pursue. There is no mystery, either, about the consequences for the world if America reelects a leader who openly displays his contempt for its allies. Mr. Trump's four years in the White House did lasting damage to the presidency and to the nation. He deepened existing divisions among Americans, leaving the country dangerously polarized. He so demeaned public discourse that many Americans have become inured to lies, insults, and personal attacks at the highest levels of leadership. His contempt for the rule of law raised concerns about the long-term stability of American democracy, and his absence of a moral compass threatened to corrode the ideals of national service. The Republic weathered Mr. Trump's presidency for a variety of reasons. His lack of prepared agenda, the disruptions of the COVID 19 pandemic, and the efforts of appointees who tried to temper his most dangerous or unreasonable demands. Most important, it survived because of the people and institutions in his administration and in the Republican Party who proved strong enough to stand up to his efforts to undermine the peaceful transfer of power. It is instructive in the aftermath of that administration. To listen to the judgments of some of those officials on the president they served. John Kelly, a chief of staff to Mr. Trump, called him the quote, most flawed person I've ever met, unquote. someone who could not understand why Americans admired those who sacrificed their lives in combat. Bill Barr, who served as Attorney General, and Mark Esper, a former defense secretary, both said Mr. Trump repeatedly put his own interests over those of the country, even the most loyal and conservative of them all, Vice President Mike Pence, who made the stand that helped provoke Mr. Trump and his followers to insurrection on January 6, 2021, saw through the man, quote, On that day, President Trump also demanded that I choose between him and the Constitution. There will not be people like these in the White House should Mr. Trump be reelected, The former president has no interest in being restrained, and he has surrounded himself with people who want to institutionalize the MAGA doctrine. According to reporting by The Times reporters Maggie Haberman, Charlie Savage, and Jonathan Swan, Mr. Trump and his ideological allies have been planning for a second Trump term for many months already under the name Project 2025. One coalition of right-wing organizations has produced a thick handbook and recruited thousands of potential appointees in preparation for an all-out assault on the structures of American government and the democratic institutions that acted as checks on Mr. Trump's power. The project ties in with plans from Mr. Trump and his supporters, to reclassify tens of thousands of federal workers so they can be fired if they do not buy fully into the Trump agenda. He also plans to strip the Justice Department of its independence in order to use it to wreak vengeance on those who, in his view, failed to concoct a victory for him in the 2020 election or otherwise didn't support his unconstitutional demands. There is more including threats by Mr. Trump, to find ways to use federal troops against those who might protest his policies and practices. These ambitions demonstrate that the years out of office and the mounting legal challenges he faces have only sharpened his worst instincts. Mr. Trump was impeached twice as president and, since leaving office, has been charged in four criminal cases Two related to his efforts to overturn the 2020 election, one over hush money paid to a porn star, and another for hoarding classified documents after he left office and impeding the government's efforts to retrieve them. No other sitting or former president has ever been indicted on criminal charges. Not only has Mr. Trump shown no remorse for these actions, he has given no sign that he understands these indictments to be anything but a political crusade meant to undermine him. He continues to claim that the January 6th insurrection has been misrepresented. Quote, there was love and unity, he said in an interview last August, and he has suggested that, if re-elected, he could use his presidential powers to pardon himself. Mr. Trump's forays into foreign affairs remained misguided and incoherent. During his presidency, he displayed consistent admiration for autocratic leaders, including Xi Jinping, Vladimir Putin, and Kim Jong-un, and contempt for our democratic allies. He has announced his intention to abandon Ukraine, leaving it and its neighbors vulnerable to further Russian aggression. Mr. Trump has made clear his conviction that only losers accept legal, institutional, or even constitutional constraints. He has promised vengeance against his political opponents, whom he has called vermin, and threatened with execution. He has repeatedly demonstrated a deep disdain for the First Amendment and the basic principles of democracy, chief among them the right to freely express peaceful dissent from those in power, without fear of retaliation. And he has made no secret of his readiness to expand the powers of the presidency, including the development of the military and the Justice Department, to have his way. Re-electing Mr. Trump would present serious dangers to our republic and to the world. This is a time not to sit out, but instead to re-engage. We appeal to Americans to set aside their political differences, grievances, and party affiliations, and to contemplate as families, as parishes, as councils and clubs, and as individuals, the real magnitude of the choice they will make in November. And now, listeners, that's going to do it for today's reading of the Waterloo-Cedar Falls Courier for Monday, January 8th. I'm your volunteer reader, Bob Young. Remember, you can access a recording of today's reading of The Courier or of the other newspapers around the state that we read just visit our website, iowaradioreading.org, at any time. And we want to thank you for listening to your IRIS, Iowa's first and only radio reading service.